You're listening to the Josh Trains Me podcast. I'll give you a 10 second count in. 10. Not, no, fuck that. We'll just go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for jumping on. This is cool. Um, so here, here's like the real deal. I haven't been following you for that long. So I'm one of the few people that hasn't been following you for a while. But like I started doing some, started digging into you a little bit. And I was like, gee, like Jesus Christ, you have like, your resume is great. I mean, great for what? That's kind of the thing with, yeah. um, you know, even the the career I'm on is kind of uh, a hybrid of things. It's like um, I'm doing I'm doing jujitsu um, full time and professionally, but I'm also running my own business and doing coaching and participating and as just a person in society at the same time. So. Uh, <laughs> even to just like get to this point is not really something that I, it was something that I hoped when I started jujitsu. Um, but it wasn't something that I had planned for even in like my early twenties, I didn't even know what jujitsu was. So it's definitely something that I, um, kind of found and then just hit the ground running with. Right. So you started doing dance and kettlebell something kettlebell related like did you get your gatsu cert or like yeah yeah so i'm in a gatsu certified kettlebell instructor level one um so i started with dance like at i think four was my first four years old was my first class um and my mom just had us do every class that we could and i think that just primed me in a way um for, you know, being like a physically active person. I think like usually when you start being active as a child, it's something that you carry into adulthood with you. The only thing with dance that was difficult was you kind of became a professional or you stopped dancing at 18. It's just kind of like, um, or a teacher. There's also, also that route, you know, you can become the dance teacher or, um, be professional. And I wasn't, into it enough to really want to pursue a dance career while we did competition. And I really loved doing dance. I just loved, um, being active. I didn't really know that's like what I was enjoying. It was just kind of something that I did after school. Um, Hmm. and then I went into college and obviously wasn't doing dance anymore. Uh, and kind of stopped doing all of the physical activity that I had done growing up. Um, And I was on summer vacation in actually Kelowna uh, and we went cliff jumping and I crushed my T9. This is leading into how I got my kettlebell certificate. (laughs) Um, So I broke my, my T9 vertebrae and on the road to recovery from that um, found yoga and weightlifting Um, ended up working at a gym that had uh, agatsu ties and we did some kind of olympic style lifting as well um and then from there i found jujitsu so it was kind of like something when i got injured i didn't really realize that being physically inactive was really um kind of making me feel really heavy emotionally and uh was contributing to a huge feeling of depression, which can come with injury. But I think because of just the difference between being a hyperactive um, youth to going into art school and dropping all physical activity and then getting injured kind of like led 
me to that realization that being active was actually associated with these good feelings and dopamine and adrenaline and all that stuff, which I'm sure you're familiar with as a trainer yourself. Yeah, totally. And I, it's funny. It's not funny actually at all. Um, <laughs> just how that expression always comes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the thing with pain or like injury. It's like, it's so energy draining in so mm-hmm. many ways. So yeah, I put up a post about that recently, I think, or I meant to something about, cause I've had some back injuries too. uh, mm-hmm. a spinal like disc herniations. I had like, I think I had two disc herniations. Um, this is what I posted about. Yeah. And the interesting thing about disc herniations is like most, I think it's something like most people have disc herniations, mm-hmm. but half of those people are not symptomatic and half are. And I was definitely amongst the people that were symptomatic of fucking severe pain. Yeah. And yeah, I remember it's so interesting too. Cause like, you know, you jumped off a cliff and you hurt your fucking back and you probably realized like right away, something is super wrong. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, it was like <laughs> a bit. Cause like, I think what happened was like, I was so engaged with school that I didn't really realize um, that I wasn't being active. And then I went on this holiday. We were like, you know, outside the whole time. I was really enjoying myself. Everybody was jumping off the cliff. And when your friends jump off the cliff, you jump off the cliff, right? Like that's the, how the expression goes. That's yeah. how the expression goes. Yeah. Um, and what's really hilarious about it, which is actually funny about it is that the reason I got hurt is because I didn't commit to like a full blown running jump. I just kind of like stepped off the edge, um, mm. which is just metaphorically, and all the cliches perfect for the <laughs> result. Yeah. Um, and I think like the injury part of it was like, I, you kind of like when you get hurt, like I'm underneath the water and I have that like slow motion realization, like, Oh, I think the guys wouldn't have done it this many times if it hurt this bad. And then I'm like, Oh, I don't want to wreck the holiday. Meanwhile, I'm underwater, like fully. Jeez underwater back is could like don't know if I'm paralyzed um I don't want to wreck the holiday I don't want to be dramatic I don't want to um you know um what are they cry wolf you know so right right um but you surface and you can't take a breath and um the reality sets in and then I think it wasn't for a few months I was just getting I knew I was like recovering because I was able to start standing and um even walking and that was just lucky for, for me to even be able to do. And I was like, why do I feel still so shitty? Like, I'm lucky to be alive. I'm lucky to be walking. I'm fucking lucky. I'm not paralyzed. And I still hate everything like that. It should be like this moment where you're like, Oh my God, I get a second life. Like I'm like a fucking cat. Like, (laughs) let's go. Here we go. And I was just kind of like at the lowest, one of the lowest points that I had been at in my 20, at that point, 20 years of existence. So, uh, it was just something that kind of, um, hit me. I was like, Oh, I'm not like using my body anymore. Like I'm walking, but I'm not using my body anymore. So I started with yoga and kind of inched my way, um, into weightlifting. And then I started feeling those things again, where you're like, Oh, my body's fucking useful. I guess Uh, I can do things with it. That's awesome. Um, Capacity. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of helped with those feelings of depression and all that stuff that comes along with, um, injury like that. Right. 
So here's my like intersegmentary uh, intro for you because I didn't do anything at all. Yeah. Um, so you tell true or false. It's yeah. it's a true or false about you. You sure. uh, you were ranked number one for women in BJJ in 2019. In Canada, so this was 2000, actually 21. Okay. For the year. Um, with a federation called the AJP. I was the number one ranked Canadian female brown belt and brown and black is in the same division. Mm. So, um, and then I think I was six or seven in Nogi that same year um, and some other arbitrary number in 10 um, <laughs> the year before that. I've been um, I've been competing for a while with with jujitsu and the ranking is like um, it's great when you see it, but it only takes one more competition for you to either be bumped mm. up if you win or <laughs> bumped down right. if you lose. So it's something that like I did I I finally saw my name next to the one number one when it was um, through the AJP Federation and what's kind of funny about that is that I'm the number one because I'm the only one who competed mm. in AJP as a Canadian. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of, I, I think it's such a interesting career choice because it's one of those things where, and I might be like very controversial and might strike some, some people the wrong way when I say this, but I think it's easier as a woman to be successful in jujitsu than it mm. is for men just based on population. Um, for example, like my division has seven girls in it in the in the world that, mm. that did um, worlds this year, and the men's of the same uh, belt color and similar weight class. Like um, men's version of the weight class had uh, fifty seven. So it's just statistically easier to be successful. Um, I, I would say that's probably not controversial at that point. Like it's not about so. sex. It's, it's just num it's numbers. Yeah. It's, it's math. Numbers. Now like, it's not to say that the training, it's not harder to get there for women. I do believe it's hard to have adequate training partners, realistic training partners, not adequate. Mm. You can find adequate training partners anywhere. Um, realistic training partners, um, it's difficult in a sense of just financially, it's difficult for everyone. So if it's difficult for men financially, imagine yeah. uh, being a woman. So it's not necessarily easier overall. I think it, when it gets to the point where you get yourself to the competition, statistically, it's easier. Everything right. before that is as hard as most other female sports are, especially because you're not training with women, you're training with men. And that's just the way it is. Like at least with female hockey or female basketball, you're training with women against women. Um, but 99% of the time I am training with men and they're usually most definitely stronger and outweigh me. Mm -hmm. Which is, which would be an, a massive training advantage for you, wouldn't it? Ah, uh, you think so, but the technique, like, it does make sense that like, for example, in the weight room, like if you're constantly deadlifting 200 pounds, it would be easier to deadlift hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. But the thing that jujitsu has that I would call like weightlifting is kind of static. Like the weights aren't against you. They're just there yeah. for you to like pick up and put down totally. and they're not like, they're not like fighting you. Um, basically what happens is the measurements are all different. So if I'm not with someone who's similar to my size, 
pinning them is a different story than pinning mm. someone who is similar to my size. Like the length of the arm matters, the lengths of the legs matter. Um, so while it does like prepare you for a larger opponent, that's really all it prepares you for is that proponent mm. or, or that opponent. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total. I wouldn't have thought that like, you know, me, like based on what I said, I'm not, you're, mm. you're inspiring me to want to get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu or some type of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, which is great. Right. That's fucking sweet. Um, but yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. You're, it's like a specific thing you're training for essentially. You have a specific or a more specific opponent, right? Yeah. They're smaller, they're faster. They don't do the same things that larger training opponent or larger, tra larger training partners do. Um, it does in a way feel like the weight is off or like the chains are off as in like I'm usually the tallest girl in my division. So it does feel like I have somewhat of an advantage in that sense, but I also, there's also a disadvantage for just exposure to that type of training partner. And mm. that is now your opponent. Um, it, you're lucky if you can find someone, especially for women, you're lucky if you can find someone your weight and size to train with. And then it all comes down to skill level. Like it's way different for me to be training with someone who has, you know, um, seniority on me than someone who has been there for three weeks a month a year or even three or four years yeah. so it's difficult and it's easy it's like it's mm. it's it's kind of um like seeing myself ranked number one this past year was uh a little bit of a surreal surreal moment but I kind of knew everything that it took to get to that point and I know it's not really that big of a deal if I'm number one. Cause I'm the only one. So I don't like, right. I don't feel, you know, like super fulfilled for being the only one who's doing it because what if there was other Canadian women right. that, you know, out could outdo me. Um, the fact is that nobody did in those years. And I think it's largely because of COVID like there are other Brown female Brown belts in Canada. There are black belt females in Canada. Um, but I think that COVID really kind of, put a wrench in everybody's competition plans. Yeah. Um, and I was one of the few who made it out to, you know, compete. Yeah. So what's your, um, what's your deal? Cause you're from Alberta. Yeah. Where are you from in Alberta, by the way? I was born in Lacombe. So Lacombe. it's just like North of Red Deer and Red Deer's in between Edmonton yeah. and Calgary. Yeah. My brother used to live in Red Deer. Like we have some, we have some family in Red Deer there or, you go. and, uh, and where else? Fuck white court. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah, classic, <laughs> that's a classic good one. one. Yeah. yeah. Talking <laughs> talking towns in Alberta. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but you're training in the States or you're living in the States now for like a while or what? So the last um pretty much since I was a white belt, I've just been increasing my time. So I started training in January of 2015 in Calgary. Um okay. and one of my training partners was like, hey, let's go do worlds. And I was like, can anybody do worlds? And at this point, like it's novice worlds, which isn't um, the same thing as the world championships, but they hold it in the same week and you're just a day before everybody mm -hmm. else. So it feels really great. Right. Oh. Um, and I was like, okay, let's do it. So that year was two weeks. The next year was four weeks. Um, the year after that was six months. And um, ever since then, I've been kind of going in and out. Um, and figuring out like when I get home, I just work my ass off and save a bunch of money. And then I go down uh, and train and I've trained, you know, all over SoCal, um, 
last, the last year before this, I was in Boston training. And then now I'm in Austin, um, training with some of the, like with the most, um, accomplished jujitsu dude in on the face of jujitsu and, uh, his coach, which is kind of a still very surreal turn of events, but it's where I'm at. Yeah. For you making it happen. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just something that like, I had to have a lot of, um, humility about and a lot of like, no fucks to what type of like accommodations I would be having in the United States. Like the first time I came down for more than two weeks, I was like living in a teardrop trailer. And the year after that, it was still the the same teardrop trailer. And the year after that, I leveled up to a van. Um, (laughs) so it was like, yeah, it, it was definitely, uh, I just did what it took to be exposed to really high level training rooms. And, uh, also the competitions are down here. There's just nothing that can compare to the United States, uh, other than Brazil who they have a competition every single weekend, but it's just not, uh, the level is just not the same. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible to be able to kind of like look back and just see how making those like choices really kind of built my ability to stack those experiences and get to where I'm at now. Right. And I still, <clears throat> I still don't know why you chose like jujitsu or how you got into that. Cause there's like, I like someone like me, I did like a little bit of boxing and a little bit of Muay Thai on top of just like classic gym stuff. Mm-hmm. So jujitsu was never even exposed to us. I never had any friends that were really doing it. And yeah, now I'm exactly. like, classic watching UFC like I'm not the guy in like the tap out shirt screaming at people on the street but I'm like I'm watching it you're like sitting beside him yeah yeah. oh yeah that's (laughs) my buddy he's here too yeah yeah Yeah. no um I think I didn't know shit about jujitsu like I was like I said I I mean I it was still two years after my initial accident or a year and a half um after that accident that I even heard what I heard the word jujitsu for the first time and I was just like, okay, cool. Martial arts. Woo. Yeah, nice. Like I bet that's cool. I mean, yeah. I'm from like Lacombe, Alberta. There was a karate. Um, there's a karate guy in our town who like my cousin went yeah. to his classes at the school, you know, elementary school gym. And it was yeah. literal. Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying karate in it of itself is bullshit, but yeah it was my exposure to martial arts was extremely limited. And I did not believe that they right. were effective. You know, most of the, like, <laughs> I, I want to say propaganda of, of martial arts is just like, you're, you, you just like, you know, go to the dojo, you follow your master and then you can do the five finger death punch. Right. Um, and that's that. But after the accident, I kind of took, um, I put art on the back burner, which I was in school for art at the time, um, visual arts, you know, Uh, I'm really, if you look at all my career choices, I'm really into paying the bills. So (laughs) I'm obviously, and by paying the bills, I mean, just my student loan debt. Like that's all I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I thought thought you studied psychology. Yeah. So that's where I took a turn. So I didn't, I couldn't do the visual arts anymore. It required like actual physical, like I was doing sculpture and ceramics and painting. It was just not something that I could, that I felt good doing. Um, so I made the switch into psychology and I minored in philosophy. 
Right. I did that for two years. I found um, the most, the nerdiest girl in the auditorium to study with. Uh, I singled her out and I was like, this is my study partner. She's going to make me a smarter person. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Like smart study. Yeah. And she was so nerdy that she, and this is in Red Deer now, cause I transferred to the, uh, you know, I'm in, yeah. I'm in RDC. I'm in the most yeah. prestigious college between, you know, oh, I guess like old is actually, it can contend. So, okay. Okay. um, yeah, I, I study with her and she's, in our second year, she starts, um, training jujitsu and she's like, this is such a cool martial art I'm doing in red deer. And like, you should listen to this guy, Joe Rogan. He's like, and but at the time I was into mushrooms and like doing, you know, I was yeah. in psychology. I was doing the, psych- the psychology student things, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's like, he has this, this guy on, I think it was Duncan Trussell who was talking mm. about mushrooms and I was listening to it for that. And, and I heard him talk about it a couple of times. I knew he was like a black belt and he kind of just like, kind of appeared to be more like legitimate than the fear factor Joe Rogan that I had previously, you know, <laughs> yeah. known. Just fucking um, yelling at people about scorpions. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just had no other reference point for like who he was or what he was doing. And then um, I started listening to the podcast more. She kept recommending like certain episodes and, and then she's like, I'm, I'm super into it. Like come watch a class. And I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll come watch the class. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, it's a white belt class. Like there's nothing zazzy about a white belt class. <laughs> They're doing like forward rolls and hip escapes. And it's a bunch of adults who are literally uncoordinated. They don't know their ass from their elbow rolling around on a mat and it didn't impress me <laughs> uh, right. you know I was just kind yeah. of like actually I'm into this elite kettlebell thing I'm like super fit I'm like the most physically fit I've been in my life and uh, all I see is like a bunch of my friends dads that now want to be fit on the mat you know training and, and somersaults hurting their back. somersaults looking like little drunk pandas in their white yeah. geese awesome so yeah I was just kind of like nah not cool. And then she learned what a Kimura was. And she's like, okay, mm-hmm. so we're studying and she's, she's like, lay down on the floor. And I lay down and she like bends my arm behind my fucking back. And I'm like, okay, like I see that yeah. there's pain involved. Like, this is intriguing. Like now yeah. I'm kind of like, okay, I'll try it. Um, fast forward, like six months, I transfer to university of Calgary and I move there and I'm waiting for the semester to start. I'm bored as hell. And I search jujitsu gyms near me and mm-hmm. it happened to be like a five minute drive from my apartment. I went, That's key. um, yeah, I bought the gi. Like I, I had decided that I was going to try it. And the thing like that I do is if I'm going to do something, I like make a commitment. My favorite thing is to make a commitment for three months. If I don't like it after three months, then I can quit, but I need to like try things that I don't like, maybe, you know, I'm skeptical about for at least that time. And I, and I was committed to going three days a week. That was like three months for three days a week. If I don't like it, I can quit it after. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up going like six, seven days a week within two weeks of training. Uh, and it just snowballed from there. It was just, yeah. it's just been like, um, the only time I've ever had off was when the world was shut down. So that was now, you know, this is 2015. This is 2022 now. Yeah. So just a ton of saturated training. 
yeah, I've never been committed to something. I've all like, the thing is I'm kind of the type of person, especially artistically, I can like try my hand at things. I mm-hmm. don't want to sound like pretentious, but I'm just generally kind of good at artistic things. Like I'm yeah. just kind of like, I always like drawing, always like painting, like singing, can play an instrument. Yeah. That was kind of my thing. Um, but I never committed to any of it <clears throat> to see progress as a, as skill development, um, with maybe the exception of weight training. Like I saw that yeah. skill development inside of weight training was really easy to obtain with consistency. Like you just had to like keep repetition and consistency over time, you build muscle and you build strength. And it's crazy. Like I remember the first time trying to do a pull-up and not being able to engage my scapula into my back. Mm-hmm. like and falling off of the bar yeah. and then you like you know a month later are doing three and then two months later are doing 10 and it's just like you can visually see the skill acquisition um and that was like kind of what maybe opened the door to me wanting to commit to something even though I sucked at it in the beginning because like weight training was I was at the lowest point I had been physically like mm. I was a hundred pounds after the accident. Like wow. I lost yeah. everything. That's lame. So I knew what it was like to like kind of suck. And b- before that experience had no idea other than like things that I obviously didn't like, like, like math. Like I was just mm-hmm. like, I suck at that. I don't need to fucking try it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a write off. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of something that I, I like liked about it. And there's a obvious hierarchy. There's like, there's like white, blue, purple, brown, black, and as much as people try to despise, you know, like the hierarchical ladder of people at work or in their family or in their friends, like once you see it in a training room where it's legitimate, like Mm -hmm. the black belt can for sure beat all the blue belts. It's like a law. The purple belt can maybe give them a hard time. The brown belt is kind of contesting, but it's like, visually there and visceral and that's something that like humans I think are a little bit separated from with the exception of relationships inside of like the workplace um or in in the family like it's kind of obvious but it's not like physical law it's not like you're being challenged at work physically to not only hold all this information above someone else's ability to hold it but also be stronger and more skilled than them right so it's just really, I think it got me. Hmm. And you seem like someone that clearly likes like the competitive edge. Like, so yeah. that's obviously a draw for you as well. Right. I think so. Um, what's your, what's your training? Like, or I'm so curious cause you train jujitsu so often, but do you have like, my question was going to be, what does your training look like outside of jujitsu? But do you do anything? So I think that something is really difficult to give a straight answer because it depends on injury. It depends on cadence, um, with training. It depends on like what your goals are for the longest time. My goal was to be as small as I possibly could to be the biggest girl in my weight class. And I was kind of the last, spent the last six years staying small. Um, so doing any kind of auxiliary weightlifting and especially as a smaller person, like you got to think, if my training partners are constantly bigger than me, I am doing resistance training in jujitsu. It is not really the same for guys, I think, because they're more evenly matched and 
doing weight training, of course, and this is not to say that weight training wouldn't have helped me or made me stronger. I'm sure it would have, but I just didn't really feel the need to focus on it because I was doing so much inside of the, the training room and I was spent every day. Like if you train every day, it's, it's really difficult to work in weightlifting and eating enough, especially when you're trying to stay small inside yeah. of a weight class. Um, so I think the more I did jujitsu, the more I fell off of weight training. Hmm. And now the goal is to go up a weight class. So hmm. weight training has become something that is absolutely necessary. I've been really diligent, um, about getting my meals in, which is something that like, I used to not eat until two o'clock. I would have one meal, go to training. And that's how I stayed at hundred and 114 pounds was my weight class, but six years into training and the training partners aren't getting any smaller and I'm not getting any stronger. Yeah, <laughs> so straight up. I, I think it's like important. And this is something as like a female and to the two women who are potentially going to be listening to this, like be as strong as you possibly can. Don't be scared of going up into the, to the next weight class, because like it makes a difference in the training room when you actually have like layers of muscle in between you and your training partner. Um, I think it decreases your chances of, uh, injury. Um, it prolongs your actual ability to train. And I think, um, suppressing your weight, especially as an adult female is something that is really detrimental to your reproductive system and your, yeah. and your endocrine system, which is something I'm now paying dividends for. Um, and I, I'm not to say that I, I regret it because that's just what I knew, um, at that point. And that's kind of the information that was also available. Um, and the idea about weight class in general, in the community of jujitsu, um, it's really common for people to be cutting tons of weight, even though we do same day weigh-ins, which is crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I think my biggest weight cut was after the pandemic, I got up to 137 pounds, which was the heaviest I'd ever been. Even mm -hmm. with weightlifting, I remember like at the peak of my weightlifting, I was 132 and I was like, super proud of that. Like that took a lot of work. I remember how much work it took to, and how much food yeah. it took to get to that weight for me. Um, and the Pan American Championship was coming up. I just got my brown belt and I wanted to do light feather again because that's the weight class I'd always done. And I didn't want to be, you know, like I think being a little baby or bitching out of doing the weight cut. That was like my mindset. And I did a, uh, what is that? 114 was the weight class. So Whoa. in a month. That's, that's, that's big. Yeah. So it was, it was insane. My performance sucked. I felt like shit. Uh, and that wasn't even the time where I was like, okay, that's the last time I did it again because I had like lost the weight and then I, I had, wasn't putting it back on. Um, and for another year after that, I suppressed my weight and continued suppressing my weight. And it's just got to a point where my period was messed up. Yeah. I was getting injured so often and I wasn't feeling strong any like anymore. Like I got, I'm getting older. Like I'm literally feeling the repercussions of being malnourished at this point. Yeah. That's a really good point to mention. Like, and I can say from my standpoint, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't coach people on weight cuts for, for anything like what you do. And I also don't train people in like physique or any type of bodybuilding where they need to do major cuts. 
But what I can say is, man, I don't, I don't know a woman that hasn't had a major issue with those like extreme cuts for shows or from what you're saying in, in your line. And then like years later, still trying to fucking balance it all out. Like, yeah, I just, I wonder, I wonder how, I don't know how important it must be for that, for a woman to, you know, to, to go through that competition and to like realize that a lot of women are struggling with that, like post competition or like, and I, and I can't imagine, right. Being a man, it's not the same. Yeah. I think it's just, um, it's jujitsu community is just such a young thing right now. Hmm. Um, women in the sport in general, the numbers have doubled in the time that I have been participating and I'm sure will more, uh, will double again. And I think it's becoming more common that women compete at the weight that they naturally are at. Right. Um, and I think it was also like a big myth that weight cutting would give you an edge because you'd be like the biggest guy in your weight class or the biggest girl in your, like, that's the point of it, I think is mm-hmm. to be like, is to be bigger than other people in your weight class, you know, to top, to top out that weight class. Yeah. It makes more sense in a day before weigh-in where you can do a water cut, um, which is typical of MMA. And I think people are so influenced in the jujitsu community and just in what information is even available for combat sports were influenced by wrestling and by MMA and both of those um, involve extreme weight cuts. So it's not really part of the culture yet where we just compete at the weight that we train at. Um, mm. we're kind of like taking on other sports, uh, ideology about how to, you know, what, what weight class, um, placement is. And mm. I think women just don't even have enough information or data on what's good for them or what other women do, because what happens is you get, kind of intimidated by the idea that someone else, like, for example, the competition I'm doing this year, um, ADCC is like a really, it's the most prestigious, um, competition in jujitsu period. Mm, Sweet. Um, When's that? It is the trials are April 2nd. And then the actual, um, championship is September. So you have to qualify in the trials and then you get invited to the championship. Um, but for women, for men, there's five weight classes. Um, and for women, there's two and it's either mm. 60, under 60 or over 60. So I think what women get scared of and just using ADCC as an example is that someone who naturally weighs 70 kilos is going to do a 10 kilo cut to be in our negative 60, you know, <laughs> division. Right. And then you're fighting a girl that is actually, you know, 20, 30, it, I'm already, you know, on the really light end of 60 kg, I'm like 53. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm fighting a girl who's actually 73 and feels like 73. She just didn't drink water that day, you know? Right. So I think the reason why people cut down is because they're scared of that person who's doing bigger cuts to get into their weight class. So this is something I think that is changing. Like, I think more women are coming out and just saying like, look, and by, by more women, I mean like more championship level female gotcha. going up a weight class because they 
see the benefit of weight training and don't want to shrink their body anymore. It's, right. You know, um, it's becoming something that is like more, um, talked about thanks to literally Instagram. That's like the biggest, mm. I think, catalyst for change is discussion like that and access to women in that way. Like there's a bunch of girls who will message me and be like, Hey, I'm, I weigh this much. What weight class should I do? Always the weight class that you weigh in. or up. Um, and if maybe it's a two pound difference, like if you're, uh, uh, you know, if the weight class is 124 and you weigh 126, I'll say, Oh, you could do a two pound, you know, cut diet for a few weeks. See if you get down. If not, like it's up to you. You can do a water cut and you can make it. I've done, I've seen, I've not only personally done it, I've seen, you know, like, um, extreme cuts and, and world medals in that same day. Like I've seen, um, Talita Allen Carr is a really great example. She's a black belt in 2018. She did Pan Ams. I was there for her cut. She cut 23 pounds, um, over three days and one. That is so much, eh? Animal. She's a fucking animal, but that is not uh, the typical weight cut result. The typical weight cut, more often than not, you're going to feel like shit. You're going to be depleted. There's actual statistics of like you performing 30%, your muscle performance is 30% less on, you know, a same. You're dehydrated. Dehydrated. It's, um, it's an actual problem. So I think it's becoming rectified and the more women who just admit like, okay, I would like to, you know, be stronger and go up a weight class. It'll kind of shift that idea up. Um, so hopefully we, I mean, just personally, I'm just not going to do it anymore. It's just too, yeah. too much. You know, that's probably worth noting from what you just said, like you're, you're talking about like even just being dehydrated, let alone doing a weight cut for a weight class. Like you could have any client, like even clients that I talk to that aren't really drinking water. It's like PS, like sooner or later, we're going to get your water up. And then I can throw that stat at them and be like, your performance is going to be like up to 30% lower because we're not drinking water. And like, we're not having some basic electrolytes. Like it's a, it's like such low hanging fruit. Right. Yeah. And I think people uh, on that note, like, your weight will fluctuate so much with your water retention numbers. So for people to hop on the scale and think like being super hydrated, eating that whole day, like the thing about, I think that maybe is a little bit like unhealthy slash healthy about obsessively (laughs) checking your weight is that you realize that fluctuation is completely normal. And some days I'm like 129 and the next day I wake up at like 123 and I didn't gain or lose weight. It's just like, did I sauna that day? Did I train really hard the day before? Did I have my electrolytes? Am I drinking distilled water? Am I drinking purified water? Am I drinking spring Mm -hmm. water? Am I drinking alkaline water? It literally makes such a huge difference in how much you weigh. So I think when people get tripped up about the number on the scale outside of, you know, weight classes and even just with personal training and they're like, Oh, I put on a pound this week. Like there's no oh, way you know that you like you, unless you're doing a body comp, like every day you, you actually don't know. It's like, you have to be over three months before you can actually give yourself a number that you gain or lost. Um, and I think that's like a, a really funny thing that people outside of um, 
weight classes and sports like this, where you check your weight is mm-hmm. that the fluctuation of your weight is so, um, temperamental and incredible that mm-hmm. you can't really pinpoint like what you actually weigh within a pound or a half of a pound. Um, so yeah, don't, don't trip about that number. It's like about like how you feel and what you look like more mm-hmm. than the number on the scale. Well, I even wonder like this again, I'm more just asking you, but back to that weight cut, like if, if we were saying, and I know we're not saying like every single person that's dehydrated is 30% less performance. Like you Mm -hmm. talked about that, um, that woman that won a goal. Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Talita Allen. Yeah. What's going on there? You guys moving or something? Fucking. I can just done with it. Throwing stuff basically. Yeah. Yeah. The movers are here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Talita, she is an animal. Like, I mean, I yeah, can't imagine, like I can't imagine like what she would have performed like if she wasn't dehydrated and fucking dying. Well, um, that's what I mean. Unless you're like competing at a high level in anything, yeah, um yeah. we probably shouldn't just count on that, like bank on us being a complete fucking savage. Like, probably yeah. shouldn't bank on that unleashing yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm like, yeah, what happens like her aside? Cause I don't know anything about her, but like what happens if you just pretty much what you're saying, don't wait, cut and like be fueled well and like perform at that hundred percent performance versus having that, like being a little heavier with a lighter person and being yeah. at like a, a decreased performance. Like, are you so, kind of, you kind of weigh those? Yeah. Eventually? So then, then here's the real shit. Right. Okay. <laughs> The thing is, is that if you go into a competition feeling good and with no excuse to not win physically, then you're fucked. Like then you're like, if you lose, it's because you, and every time you lose, it's because you tech, you lost technically anyway. But the thing that people do is they're like, oh, I had an extreme weight cut. I was feeling like shit. That's why I got, you know, submitted in 12 seconds. Right. Kind of like this, like a fallback. And I think that's another reason why I would do it is because like, if I failed, it's because I had so many things to take care of and one of them fell through and that's why the rest of it tumbled. Mm. Um, Whereas if you put it on yourself to show up healthy and happy and comfortable, then, and you don't perform well, then it's kind of like, it stands out a little bit right. more like it, the, the knife's a little bit, um, sharper when it is, has nothing to do with how you were feeling physically and everything to do with how you performed mentally, because that's what it comes down to in jujitsu. It's especially cause you're, com- you're competing at your weight class, whatever that is, and your belt level, um, experience or not, it comes down to who is the better performer that day. Mm-hmm. You both know enough about jujitsu at brown belt and black belt that it is like a coin toss of who's going to outperform the other. You only have 10 minutes. Mm. Um, so I think it's just something where people feel a little bit more comfortable having more excuses as to why they lost. Um, Makes total sense. Yeah. It's, it's like a like, fallback, you know? <laughs> I, I think you, cho- it's really interesting. It's like, it's very clearly interesting that it's interesting that you chose psychology and jujitsu because like, I'm curious to, to hear your perspective on like how those, like what you've learned about your own psychology through jujitsu. Okay. Yeah. So I think the, the reason I was even compelled in the beginning was that it was, 
it was something that turned the hormones of really early human beings, like of what your natural encounter would be like fight or flight and adrenaline are two things that if you have an office job, you only feel if you have a near miss accident on your way to work or actual, you know, car accident where yeah. you like, you like almost get hit and you feel that spike of adrenaline and you're like, Oh, I'm a fucking live, you know, like I'm a savage. Like, yeah. No, you're, <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. Did you see me dodge yeah. that bumper? Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was something that I was like, shit, I can get into this. Like you're constantly like being protected from these really animalistic feelings and functions as a modern human and emerging into a room where the biggest, strongest, most skilled guy is the top dog is just not normal. And that was something that like primally connected me to the sport. I was, it's unlike any other, um, it's unlike any, it's unlike any other sport with, with exception to MMA, because I feel like MMA is the full gambit. It's like, you can get your face punched in, which is something I'm not interested in doing. I'd rather just strangle you or break your arm. Um, you know, I don't want to take, I don't want to take like physical permanent damage. Um, I just want you not to be able to breathe permanently. Yeah. I just, (laughs) something I like just temporary stoppage of blood flow is fine. Yeah. Um, and, and broken arms heal, broken legs heal, ligaments, bones heal. So it's, uh, your brain doesn't. And that's something yeah. that just statistically it was better than, um, was better choice than it's the closest I could get to, to MMA was jujitsu, um, without being like impacted, which is actually really important to how I physically can function because of my back injury. Like impact is just not something that I can handle. So, um, it just kind of, uh, it, it, it appealed to me in a sense where we're working with really basic instincts and skill development um, is something that is another part of it where people really tend to shy away from things that make them feel embarrassed, that make them feel inadequate, that make them feel lesser than. And I think we're in this society of making people feel normalized for all of those things and it's not fucking normal in the wild and that's something that you know i really like about jujitsu is like it is actually survival of the fittest and fittest doesn't mean just like humans doesn't mean the actual like we're not as fit as gorillas we -hmm. are more skilled so you don't have to be the biggest gorilla you can just be the most skilled monkey if that makes sense you know like yeah so the blend of dealing with really primal instincts and skill acquisition um, as a modern human was something that made me feel really rooted in a human experience and really mm. connected with like what your body is capable of doing. Like I wish every eight-year-old knew that they could break someone's wrist like that would be cool or a triangle you know like I think that like the knowledge of your body being able to do that like it is so ancient and so it's as long as we have had the idea of of warfare or of um combat like as long as that has existed really well you I, I can't imagine not 
figuring it out. Like if you and you versus another guy and all you have is your body, Mm -hmm. like that would have had to been trained. Like that has to be an ancient, it has to be an ancient art. And it does have like really old history. And of course we kind of lose it because most history is eventually lost or forgotten anyway. But in my imagination, I think that as long as we have had these limbs, this is what we've been capable of doing and knowing, you know? So it was something that kind of just pulled me in. And then on the other side of it, just being a female, I felt incredibly empowered. <laughs> like hate using that word because like, um, I don't feel okay. empowered when guys are like crushing me in the training room, you know? Right. But the first time I felt that I could actually take someone's life with my legs was a pretty cool moment. What did um, that look like? Like, what was that all about? It's a triangle um, submission. So it's just like the most classic, even like you probably learn it at like a self-defense seminar. You learn how to triangle choke someone or triangle strangle, which is just their arm is passed over this artery and your leg is over this artery and both of your legs are clamping over top of their head. I mean, Google search triangle choke. Yeah. You'll, I've you'll seen see it. it. You'll yeah. see it too. You'll see it. You'll, you'll see it in the, yeah. Your tap out friend probably would love, would be oh, happy he, to show you it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like, I was like, oh my God, I can hold. Not only do I have the power to give life between my legs, but I can yeah. also take it. Totally, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That was like a super empowering moment. And then the realization that the likelihood that I would be able to do that against someone who was stronger than me um, and had actual intention to hurt me, that's a whole other realization that comes way further down the line. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that it's an advantage. It, it's an advantage, advantage yeah. to have, you know? <laughs> Advantage, yeah. Advantage. That happened the other day. I was I posted something and I just talked with a fucking accent. And I was like, what was that all about? It happens, eh? It's well, just... I think you're you of everybody that I've talked to in the last three months that I've been in the United States, you have the strongest Canadian accent. I think I could even oh, yeah? it fathom. I can't <laughs> even fathom. <laughs> um yeah i've lost it but you definitely have it oh yeah like i can hear myself seeing about and i can hear it why how are you saying i say about i say about about yeah it's getting owie now it's like you're saying about no is it that is it that i think so really eh and then you're a and you're a and just all I over a lot. the place. I'm yeah, I'm leaving A's like left, right, and center. Well, I mean, so. you probably played uh center, didn't you? Uh, left wing and defense. Left wing, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I wasn't. It's not worth talking about. I only made the B team, so uh, stick on the eyes, eyes on the puck. Yeah, seriously, seriously, hardcore. Um, <laughs> yeah, wasn't wasn't a very good athlete uh, my whole life, so I had to work super hard. Um, I want to ask you about this. So in jujitsu, there's well, you're talking about triangle chokes. Like you can get choked yeah. the fuck out. Yeah. Um, how do you uh, like, other than like, you know, the technical side of like, you know, training to do that. Is there any type of training that goes into how to calm your mind when you're getting choked or like when you're in those like really high pressure situations? Uh, I'm so curious work. about that. Is breath it breath work? It's hundred percent mindfulness. Fucking right. hundred percent, hundred percent mindfulness, hundred percent. Like I think, being um 
like self-aware enough to realize when you are breathing through your mouth and not through your nose. Um, even like imagining that as like a, a strangle is being set as, as a strangle is being set, taking a pre a preemptive like breath inhale to give yourself a little bit more time in case that room is getting dark. Um, and you know, the, the best thing about like a strangle is that the best thing about a strangle. One of my top things things about getting strangled. Um, (laughs) the best thing about it is that if you can basically like hold on long enough or resist long enough, most people will give up because they think like it's not working because you can't tell if someone's being strangled. Like you, you can't tell if they're giving up unless they're limp. Right. So if you Mm. like take it, if you learn how to control your breath, you can, and you can hold your breath for a while and give yourself some time and some space, like the person might give up. And that's like a really, Mm. um, they also might not, and you can end up passing out or having to tap, but you know, it's adventure time. We'll see where we can go. Well, Sam, see what um, happens. But yeah, I think that was one of the first lessons I ever realized in jujitsu was I, you know, when you're like super focused on learning something or doing something and you hold your breath, if you do that and you try to like fight someone, you're going to pass out yourself. Like it's like you're strangling yourself. 100%, <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that is like one of the first things I tell white belts or that I'll tell someone who's just starting, who I'm training with, like, don't forget to breathe. You know, it's like a really important part of this practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And as it is in weightlifting, I mean, like the pace of breath and even like when to inhale and when to exhale can make a huge difference in your load carrying ability. Right. hundred percent. That's really cool to hear the application of that. Do you, uh, do you follow Brian McKenzie? No. Mm-mm. he's uh he's really big in he was like huge into the crossfit endurance community mm-hmm. um yeah i have a book back there somewhere i can read a bit um he i took a course from him he um long story short so he's really involved with high level athletes and mm-hmm. now he does a ton of shit with this um what is it called heart and health foundation something like that. I'm kind of butchering it, but it's all about breath work. Mm. And one of the things I learned like a couple of years ago was these, um, these pulmonary warmups are called like, there's all sorts of breath work, mm. right? Like we can name like 30 yeah. different types of breath work, but yeah. this one in particular was pretty interesting because a component of it, they say in the course is like, this is going to feel like you're drowning on land. Mm. So it, like, I just thought of you and I'm like, you're talking about breath work. You're talking about like literally out of air and like your life is being threatened and how to control that feeling. Yeah. I think it's just all of those things. Cause like when you're first starting, you're not familiar enough with the adrenaline of being in a combat situation with someone that you, all of these things are going on. Plus you have to manage your breath, which is what you learn eventually is the most important part of being able to um, deal with high pressure situations. And that's like, we can, you know, like you said, we can name 30 different, um, techniques, but I think it's, uh, it's clear when like Navy SEALs are trained, um, to in high pressure situations, do box breathing. Like it's clear that that's a very important component of, 
um, mind control. And by mind control, I mean, you being able to control your own mind, mm-hmm. um, and all, and ultimately your, your physicality. So I think it's, it's kind of, like you said, when, um, when you're first starting out, it's like sensory overload, like, um, and knowing a little bit about that. And I think I'm just lucky to have been, uh, introduced to yoga prior to jujitsu. So I kind of was primed to be aware of my body in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you throw me into open water and tell me to watch my breath, I'd drown. I'm like anxiety would take over. So, I mean, there's still work to be Mm. done (laughs) inside of the, you think so? I think so. Like, I think I I'm really scared of like the seaweed coming up from the, the bottom and grabbing my ankles and pulling me down and it takes over, it hijacks my Amygdala? entire, yeah, my entire the, brain. the whole thing, everything below your haircut. <laughs> yeah, just fucking... exactly. yeah. And then, yeah. you know, like a, the jaws movie or he's just like pulled yeah. across like side to side. That um, happened Ace Ventura too, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's known to happen and that's why I'm scared <laughs> of it happening to me. That's a terrifying movie, Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a good one. Wasn't that wasn't that a story? I like I've been I've been getting the dirt on you, but not dirt, just researching you a bit. But isn't that something your dad told you when you were a kid? And yeah, that's yeah. part of your fear of water. Yeah, yeah, that is um, definitely. I think he just didn't want to like really have to watch us that hard when we were on the beach, and it was like a technique that he employed to keep us near the shore. Very fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah use of of uh fear in in um in children but it worked and yeah. it is you know the proof i'm the living proof that it uh, yeah <laughs> condition, condition kind of, sort of funny it's it sucks too so i'm a parent like i have yeah. a two-year-old so yeah. like all of the things i i pretty much think about everything i think about how everything could affect my son like long term so i'm like so <laughs> conscious about that shit so when i heard that i was like I could see that being pretty, pretty uh, impactful in a negative way. No, yeah, con- yeah not to yeah. hurt your dad or anything. Like we no, all. No, my dad is. I think. I I mean, like he was also the one who was watching us, like having us watch like Ace Ventura, and like would <laughs> pretend to like he would like crack his neck while he was driving and pretend to die. Like there was just, yeah, like he is kind of like I imagine like how Jim Carrey would be as a dad. So like, there's part of that. Like I got a lot of humor, a lot of ability to like understand humor and be humorous because of him. So I'll take good the trauma. Skill. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, good skill. A little yeah. trauma, it's gonna happen, right? It's so fine. Take <laughs> like, your track. Yeah, you took I'm psychology. Talking. You're fine. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's uh, what's beans of nebula mean? That was uh, un- so my dad. Um, <laughs> he had a story of arrival for every one of my siblings and um some were found under a rock some were bought at sears i was a bean that had fallen from the sky from a nebula cluster <laughs> and beans of neb beans of neb was it has been like my name or handle as soon as you could make handles like my AOL yeah. account, my MSN AOL, account. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. I don't know, like that old, that old stuff. I might be aging myself with this. Were you on MySpace? No, I never really, I think I was too young for MySpace. 
I like had just missed the MySpace, but I did have Nexopia, which I don't know is only, it, it might only be local to, I ask people like, do you remember Nexopia? And they don't, but every don't. kid in my town had a Nexopia. So um, it was before Facebook, but yeah, as soon as you can make handles, I was making, I was beans and nebbin all the handles. And that's just been, I've tried to be more professional. Like I've literally tried to change my Instagram name to Rebecca Jiu-Jitsu or Rebecca BJJ or Rebecca does jits. I've tried it. And, um, my audience is very tied to my given my dad given name. It's like, it's a, at least a good story. Like I got to give props to your dad because it's pretty creative and it really stands out. I was like, what the fuck does this mean? I'm like, I, I, I have no idea. Like, I know. No idea. I know. It's just the only thing that I kind of, I didn't ever, I didn't like foresee my Instagram um, becoming like a tool for me. I just kind of had always just documented my mom's photographer. She did, you know, do you know uh, creative memories? It's a Canadian I've, I've had creative memories. That's what you're <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. So she no, has like, you know how moms make scrapbooks with pictures and journal. That is yeah. the original Instagram. Okay. That is the prehistoric Instagram. My mom had been doing that my whole life. So when Instagram came up and it was like a picture with a journal, like caption, I was like, shit, this is like, this right. is scrapbooking, but for me. And yeah. I just like kind of really adhered to that style of storytelling um, I have been much less af- active in the last uh, six months than ever before because uh, I'm just kind of sick of telling people what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm also at like, I feel like the beginning of like the, like a new beginning, like I'm starting, I'm on a new team and I'm in a new city and mm. a new apartment. And I kind of like need to kind of get my footing before telling the world that uh, what I'm doing and whatever, taking time off. I don't even know. I'm kind of like unaware of how to get back into it. Like it's like a past version of myself was just so willing to like share all this information. And then after I stopped sharing for a little while, I was kind of like, why the fuck am I telling people stuff? Like, yeah, shit that doesn't really matter. No, that's the stuff that entertains people. But I think like, Instagram is just such a, it's a, such an incredible tool. So I thought I would start with, I just literally had the thought, like I should just do more, be on more podcasts. And I think you messaged me and I was just kind of like, I'm perfect. Well, there's okay. one. <laughs> We're sharing again. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it's that easy. eh? Yeah. I can actually totally relate from that. Not, I don't have a lot of followers, but uh, I did take like, I think six months off. I moved from Ontario, like that's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I moved there. I moved from there like six months ago and now I'm in BC. Yeah. Victoria. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I had to, yeah, it's nice. It's like, it's Best great. Place to live in Canada. Uh, yeah. Like it's my favorite place so far. I lived in Banff too. That was like, it's pretty remarkable. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty. It's pretty not bad. It's uh, pretty not bad. You just have to be like super into snowboarding and Australians. And, or, or French people. Or French people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the season. There's like a day. So <laughs> seriously, you've been to Banff. Like, yeah, I've been. Right. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, so I lived there for about a year, not a long time, but long enough to know that like I remember going into the winter being like, Yeah, everything's fine, doing my shit. And then like one day, like 
is it the which season i guess the aussies would come in the winter yeah mm-hmm. i think like one day all of a sudden there was like thousands of more fucking australian people and i was like what the like like i'm new here too but like what what is going on here <laughs> and then it's like yeah that happens and then in the summer the same thing but with french folks yeah like a surge yeah it's a I mean, Canada, Canada is like kind of a cool place, I think, to live. I, and your accent's definitely, definitely Eastern. Definitely. Oh, yeah? I, yeah, it was a telltale sign. Um, but I think Victoria is pretty sweet. So, I'm, and, and to the follower comment, even I think the, the smaller that your group is, the smaller your audience is, the harder it is honestly because yeah. it's like the people who are watching you are probably a way closer to you in relationships in general and proximity in distance like they're probably mm-hmm. p- real life people who you know yeah IRL which is like way different than a stranger on the internet um but my account was really small when I started doing you know instagram started sharing stuff and it just kind of like grows like this little like this little beast for some reason you just (laughs) you just keep feeding it with menial you know like sometimes helpful things but most of the time people just want to this is something i was talking to a friend about they just want to like know love and trust you and or hate you so yeah if you can play either of those cards, I think I can wrong. play both. To be honest, yeah, I mean it's yeah, gonna yeah. happen. Love happens with hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our greatest sources of love are our greatest sources of pain. What do you think of that? There we go. That's some psychology. It's not my. Uh, it's just something I thought of. No, <laughs> off the top. <laughs> just I don't know. Did that make any sense? I blacked out for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you train with George Saint Pierre? Yeah, he comes to the gym. Yeah. Just that's it. Yeah, not a big deal. So. Not a big deal. Jake Shields was there today. Uh, Burry um, McDonald was there today. It's a pretty stacked room. So of course, uh, training with me is just not useful to, for them, but we're on the same mat. Do you train with them though? Like they train with you or not really? It's a it's a pro training session. So for me to chain, train with GSP would be like silly. Like they're there to fuck shit up. Like, unless I want to put myself in front of a semi truck, like yeah, yeah. I'll train with the smaller guys, you know, like yeah, fair enough. <laughs> better, it's better for me, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's the room. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense. And like to be, um, to be kind of like, I don't, it's hard. It, it, imagine jujitsu as like a company and this company has like the, you know, extremely prestigious of that industry there and you're just kind of like working alongside them like shit (laughs) like i guess i'm here but like eventually it'll make sense for me to be standing in this this guy hopefully if i achieve what i want to achieve but if it doesn't then this is a pretty cool experience yeah that's friggin gnarly i uh i don't even know how i saw that i think i just saw it and i was like fuck that's 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 a big deal yeah, I mean, he comes to Austin pretty often because my coach, John um, Danaher, is his longtime MMA coach. Mm. So 
the connection is through yeah. John, which is the reason why everybody's there is to train with John. Um, wow. He's just the considered the best coach in jujitsu history. So, uh, and the reason is because he has what uh, undisputed champion. So, yeah, legit. Um, in 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 multiple fields, you know, like, and there's guys that you know come through. Um, Tim Kennedy was there the day before. Like, it's just kind of like there's just so many goats should run a farm, but yeah. Or like put some bells. Like, I wonder if George yeah. would put, you put a bell around his neck. I don't know. It'd make, it would make a lot, it would be really noisy in that room. <laughs> Choke George. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Or, I mean, John, I mean, like all, all the guys that are there, but it's kind of, it, it's such a, um, it's a mind fuck because you know that when you watch these guys and do their routine, that it, that is the catalyst of their success is their routine. Um, so to be doing my routine next to them and, um, with my training partners who are also coming up, it's kind of gives you this idea of consistency routine and, and redundancy is not always, you know, boring and bad. hundred percent. That's a, such a good thing to say, especially from you. That's like someone that's doing good things at a high level. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's the shit that we're doing repetitively. Well, actually, it's always the shit we're doing always. repetitively. Yeah, and I think it's it can be because I'm like at the essentially at the beginning of my career where these guys are kind of even George, he's retired um, and being kind of working alongside them is. Um, it's it's difficult to not kind of think think like, oh, I'm so far behind, you know, like this is he's here and I'm here, but I'm so much further. I'm 15, 20, 25 years behind where he's at. Um, and, and I think just because it's women's jujitsu, I just don't think it'll ever really even be comparable success wise or financially, like hopefully that'd be fucking sweet, but that's (laughs) not really like, (laughs) not really like what I'm expecting. Um, so it, it does, I think that's a part of my reluctancy to share right now is just that it's like, um, it feels like I'm starting over again, six years in and seven years on my seventh year, you know, and for most people going from brown belt to black belt is like almost like a feeling of completion. Um, whereas especially just being at the place I'm at with the expectations that there are, and I don't even want to say expectations. Like they could give a fuck if I yeah, actually become successful or not. Like that's completely up to my personal expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but to rise to the level to the occasion is going to take <laughs> three times the amount of effort that it's taken to even get me to this point. And right. realizing that is like, I should totally just like kind of quit, like marry a farmer and fuck off for the rest of my life. You seem um, to be drawn to the farm, the farm life. I grew up farming, you know, yeah. I had my, I had my opportunities and I'm sure if I went home and I said, Hey, Connor Prince, yeah, I'm ready to be a potato farmer's wife. He'd say, okay, let's go. Is he a guy that like lives in your community? Who's exactly. Connor? Oh Connor. yeah. <laughs> Connor, how are you? If, if, uh, I give you a, if I give you the heads up. Yeah, seriously. He's a potato farmer. Yeah. They're uh, not that you'll be interested at all in this, but there's a uh, potato farm for sale in, uh, in Nova Scotia right now. Well, they make a lot of money. I'll yeah. say that. <laughs> I it's like living pretty right now. Would you? Oh yeah. 
Oh, I don't think yeah. they're sweet potatoes. I think they're russets, but um, it's still <laughs> either way when fried. Yeah, so... that's yeah, that's... So that's the important factor. But that's fair. Yeah, point. I think that's something that I. It's so extreme right now, like that sensation of like um, exactly fight or flight is exactly what it is. It's either fly away, be the goose that goes north in the summer, um, mm. or stay put and fucking suck it up and keep doing what you know, um, I've been putting myself on the yeah. path to do, which I think is, um, something that's really common in probably most people's careers who are trying to achieve a high level of, um, success in what their framework is for that. Um, is it's either like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's just gotta be all for now. Is that your, is that your mindset? Like you're leaning towards all? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if I was to go for like, if, like, again, if I was to do the flight thing, like it would be so easy. I could literally book a flight and pack my suitcase and be married within three months and set like to the, I to the potato farmer, to the potato farmer, to like literally anybody in Alberta. Like, it, <laughs> like I think, <laughs> I think it's fine. Like, I think it would be easy. Good I could you. even open Good the dojo and like, true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I could, I could even do kind of what I wanted to do, like what I want to eventually do. I would just be doing a, a, essentially like a watered down version of what I could potentially do, which is what stops me from doing it is I don't want to <clears throat> sell myself short. And if I, if I sell myself short, then I sell the experience mm-hmm. short in the long run. You know, like I, when I do open my own academy, I want to be able to, uh, give as much as I possibly can and have the highest level of education that I possibly can it's it's kind of like I'm just kind of like the extreme I'm an extreme person I either jump off the cliff or I don't yeah and I heard you jumped off so I heard I jumped off yeah yeah no that makes tons of sense I know a lot of um I know some people like you for sure Yeah. yeah more people not but that's why you're at that level and you're not just like yeah doing super regular shit yeah it just seems regular because everybody around me is doing it so i think that's what brings it back down to the mundane so you you can't like i i personally can't feel like i'm doing like superstar stuff because there's just literal superstars around me and i'm like just nobody at this point (laughs) so it's like a really it's it's perfectly humbling um but I think it's uh, it's a great place to to be. Yeah, it's sweet. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. That was sweet. Yeah, that was, was awesome. Thank yeah. you for for having me on. It was good to to talk about the the jits. Talk about life. Talk about the life, you know. 